May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. Welcome to Parkway Fellowship. So glad that you're here today. And today we're going to wrap up our series called Sayings of the Wise by talking about three out of the last ten of these sayings of the wise. Now, today we are going to go out of sequential order. I know. So if you're one of those like tightly wound type A type of people, now might be a good time to take some medication, you know, or whatever it is that you need to do to get ready for that. Um, now, if, if you're new today and this is your first day to come, um, we don't normally, you know, ask people to, you know, take over the counter meds during church, but you know, some people got to do what they got to do. No, seriously, if you're new today, so glad that you're here. Today, we're actually wrapping up a message series called The Sayings of the Wise, and during this series, we've been looking at the, um, a, a group of, of proverbs, a special group of proverbs, and they're literally called in the Bible, the sayings of the wise. It's a collection of 30 proverbs that are all written by King Solomon. Now, even though King Solomon is the one that actually penned the words, the truth is, these are words that are from God. Because who do you think gave these proverbs to Solomon, Right? It was God that gave them to him. So really, as we read these Proverbs, it's really God speaking to each one of us. I remember a time when I was 26 years old. I was still single. I was a youth pastor at the time, and um, I was driving to San Antonio. I was taking a week of vacation for Christmas, and I was going to be with my family. And um, I, I had a little bit of curriculum that I had to finish writing. So I knew I was going to need to work maybe, you know, about a day when I was at home. Um, and, you know, and, and while I was driving there, I, I just knew. I was like, my dad is going to fuss at me for working while I'm on vacation. You know? And sure enough, we get, I get there, and the first night when we're eating dinner, that night we're eating dinner, you know, I kind of tell my parents, like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to have to work a little bit. I just couldn't finish some stuff up, so I'm you know, going to need to work just a, just a little bit while I'm here. And then my dad says to me, he's like, well, Michael, you know, he always talks in that, he always calls me Michael whenever I'm in trouble. You know, well, Michael, and he didn't really talk like that. This is just theatrics. Okay. Um, well, Michael, you know what? I really don't think this is a very good boundaries for you because, you know, if you, if you, you know, continue to work while you're on vacation, then you'll be eventually become one of those people that all you do is, you know, work, 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 and you never really take any time off, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he just launches this long lecture about workaholism. Finally, after a while, I just, I just said, Dad, enough! I am 26 years old. And you are still treating me like I am 14. You've got to stop. And you know what? If I have a little bit of work left to do, then I do. Okay? I tried to get it all done before I came, but I just couldn't. And so I made the choice, instead of staying and working, I made the choice to come home and be with you guys. And if I've got to work a little bit, and if that's the wrong thing to do, then that's my mistake. So just let me make it. And so we finished our meal in awkward family silence. <laughs> and look, y'all, okay, I, I was 26, okay? Like, I knew everything, right? 
just like you did when you were 26. And if you are 26, this is not news. You already know you know everything. <laughs> Look, the problem wasn't, wasn't my dad, okay? The problem was me. Because, like, I thought I knew everything. You know, and, and, and I think about that. And see, here's the thing. God, our Heavenly Father, is speaking to us through these sayings of the wise. But we, as his children, get to choose how we receive it. Okay? I mean, you know, we could slam our hands down like an angry 26-year-old and say, you know what, God, I've got this. I know it. I, everything, I don't really need you for this. But if we do, man, I'll tell you, we've missed it. Or we can passively slam our hands down by just listening but not doing anything about it. Just go on living like we're living anyway. And if we do that, okay, we've missed it. But if we understand that what we're gonna hear today, and literally every Sunday, that what we're gonna hear is words from God who loves us and wants the best for us, then we can reap the benefits of a changed life. We can reap the benefits that God says are going to come to pass if we will adopt these sayings of the wise as practices in our lives. And we have a huge advantage of the people in Solomon's day because we live on this side of the resurrection in the timeline of humanity. And what that means is, is that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can have a relationship with God. That God's forgiveness and his mercy and his grace and his kindness and his patience is free-flowing to us who are already Christ followers. And so here's the thing. When we mess up these Proverbs, and then there's no reason for us to, you know, get mad at God because God's not mad at us. He loves us with an incredible amount of love because of Jesus Christ. And so because of that relationship that we have now with God, because we're on this side of the resurrection, man, I'm telling you, we can experience his love and his grace and his faithfulness and his kindness and his patience And he always deals with us out of his mercy and his forgiveness. But we have to choose to relate to him like that. Okay, so go ahead and pull out your message notes and let's get started and let's receive this the way that God wants us to receive it with the right attitude, okay? So let's begin by asking this question. What's God saying to me through these sayings of the wise? Well, saying number 24 out of the 30 sayings is this, my faith in God is not for sale. My faith in God is not for sale. So this comes from this very short saying, which is, if you falter in a time of trouble, and I want you to circle the word falter, okay? It's key to this verse. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Proverbs 24.10. Now, that word falter that I had you circle, that word actually means to faint. Okay, so you might want to just write that somewhere in your notes. It means to faint. Um, 
<clears throat> and the way that this word is written in Hebrew, and Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament, the way that this word is written, it's something that you do to yourself. It's not something that is done to you by an outside circumstance, which is odd because it seems like it's the times of trouble that would cause the faltering, that would cause the fainting. But that's not it. God says it's something that you do to yourself, which, if we reflect on it, actually kind of makes a little bit of sense because we've all seen how, you know, people handle tragedy that, you know, maybe there's a, a death or an illness, or you know, something unexpected happens to a loved one, or there's a divorce, or a financial crisis, or whatever. But we've seen some people who experience those things, and man, their faith seem, and God seems to grow. Like their faith in God seems to get stronger through that experience. And then there's other people that when they have that experience, that literally the same circumstances, they fall away from God. They falter, they faint in their faith. Well, why? Why does that happen? I mean, why do some grow closer to God and others fall away, even if they're experiencing the same sort of you know, time of trouble in life? Because God is clear that those who faint, they do it to themselves. How? How do they do it to themselves? Because they did not prepare in advance how to deal with these times of trouble. And here's the thing. God says, if you aren't prepared in advance, he says, how small is your strength? Which means, how do I make sure that I prepare in advance? Well, we need to look no farther than how people in the Bible who experienced times of trouble that grew closer to God in the process. How did they handle it? Well, if you look at these people across the pages of the Bible, they all have one thing in common, all of them. The one thing they have in common is this, is that they prepared in advance by deciding that my faith is not for sale. They, they, they just decided my faith is not for sale. For instance, Daniel was going to be thrown into the lion's den if he didn't stop praying to God. But Daniel had already decided in advance, you know what? My faith is not for sale. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to be thrown into a furnace of fire if they did not bow down and worship the king instead of worshiping God. But you know what? They had already decided in advance, my faith is not for sale. Job lost everything in life, everything. And his friends told him to curse God and walk away from God. And Job said, no way, because I've already decided my faith is not for sale. I think about Paul and Silas who were thrown in jail and, and Stephen who was stoned to death and the apostle John who ended his life by being exiled on a remote island. All of these people decided in advance, my faith is not for sale. And so when times of trouble come, they actually grew and those are people that we look up to and that we admire. And here's the thing, for each one of them, it was just a decision that they made. Okay, because here's the thing. It's not that they knew a lot of theology, because most of them were very uneducated. 
And it's not because, you know, they all had like some kind of an amazing supernatural experience with God that, you know, just galvanized their faith. Because that, that actually didn't happen for most of them, okay? But each one of them just decided in advance, my faith is not for sale, no matter what. No matter what. So here's the thing. Would you decide that today? Literally, would you make the decision today, my faith is not for sale? Because here's the thing, until you make that decision, you are in danger of causing yourself to faint. See, because remember, it's not the circumstance that does it to you. You do it to yourself by not deciding in advance. So would you decide today that no matter what happens, come what may, no matter what times of trouble may, may come, that my faith is not for sale. That when those times of trouble come, and I'm telling you that they will come, that when they come, that you would use that as an opportunity to actually lean harder into God and into your relationship with Him than instead of walking away from Him. That when trouble walks in the door, that you don't walk out on God. Now look, don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying that you might not doubt. And here's the thing. All great men and women of faith, at some point in their lives, had doubt. And so God can handle doubt. But here's the thing. Although you can doubt your beliefs, you can't believe your doubts. Although you can doubt your beliefs, you can't believe your doubts. And it's when you make a commitment ahead of time that I'm not, my faith is not for sale. It's that commitment that keeps you from transferring over to believing those doubts. It's that commitment that brings you back to, you know what, I believe in God and I trust in God no matter what. I've actually already decided that. And so my faith is not on the block to be negotiated, traded, or sold. I've already made that decision. And here's the thing. The foundation for why you would never turn away from God is because of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, when you doubt in the midst of troubled times, what you really doubt is God's goodness. I mean, that, that's really what people doubt. They doubt, you know what, if God is good, then why would he allow this to happen to me? If God is actually so good and he's so, good, so loving, then why didn't he do something when I really needed him to do something? But the reason that you don't have to doubt God's goodness is because of Jesus. And here's why. It's because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John 3.16. Foundational verse of all the Bible. And so God, has, God loves you. And he's already proven how he loves you. I mean, really, what more does God have to do to show you that he loves you? Other than sending his son to die for you. And so you don't have to doubt God's goodness and how much he loves you because Jesus 
has already died for you. So there's no reason to doubt. So that means there must be some other reason for why that circumstance is happening. But it's not because God doesn't love you. And it's not because God's not good. There's some other reason. And so it's in that moment that you need to lean harder into God because you need him more. Otherwise, you're in danger of fainting. And the truth is you're doing it to yourself. You do it to yourself. And making that commitment that your faith starts, uh, that your faith is not for sale, that starts by choosing to believe in Jesus Christ. And, and I don't mean that you know, just believe that Jesus exists. I mean that you have to believe that Jesus died for your sins. So have you ever come to a place in your life where you personally have asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you for everything because he died for your sins? If you've never done that, there's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. And I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer when we get to the end of the day. Because here's the thing. It's because of the incredible forgiveness and grace of God that's available through Jesus Christ. That's why people don't walk away from God. Because they realize, I've been bought with a price. God paid an incredible price for me because he loves me so much by sending his son Jesus. And if God was willing to do that for me and he considered me so valuable and so important and he loved me so much that he did that for me, then why would I ever walk out on him? Why would I ever walk out on that? And so it's, it's when you're captured by that love of Christ that that's when you say, you know what, I'm so committed to following you. My, I'm deciding right now my faith is not for sale. Because I've been bought by your love that you put on display on the cross when you sent Jesus. See, that's how wise people handle adversity. That's how wise people approach it and how they view it. Okay, let's look at saying number 25. Saying number 25 says this. I need to care enough to say something. I need to care enough to say something. Let's read this proverb. It says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he, that's God, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they've done? Proverbs 24, 11 through 12. Basically, God's saying that if you see someone that's headed down a destructive path in life, that you have an obligation to say something about them. You do. Now, the problem is, We've all tried that, and it didn't go very well, right? I mean, you know, maybe they said, what business is this, is this of yours? Why do you care? I mean, look, this is my life, my business, you need to butt out. Or maybe they were 26 years old, and they slammed their hands down and told you to walk out. I don't know. I mean, point is, we've all tried it before, and it just didn't work. So, and so you know what we tend to do? We tend to just say nothing. I mean, isn't that right? I mean, we just say, you know what? I know that they're not going to listen to me anyway. And so, 
I'm better off just saying nothing, but you know what? I'll be there to help pick up the pieces. That's what I'll do. I'll be there to help pick up the pieces. But God says to you and to me through this proverb, he says, no, 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 no. You have an obligation to say something. I have put you in their life because they're staggering towards a slaughter, and I don't want them to experience that. Your job is not to be there to pick up the pieces. That's my role. Your job is to help stop it if you can. And so you have an obligation to say something to them about it. To which we all go, how? I've tried. Well, the problem is, is not really in what we say. The problem tends to be in how we say it. Because, you know, and honestly, I wish that this proverb, that God would, I wish he would give us, you know, just some little, a little guidance on like what we ought to say in those moments or how we ought to say it, but, but he doesn't. I think the reason that God doesn't really give us much, many specifics is because every personality is different and every relationship dynamic is different. But one thing that I do know for sure is that if you say anything, or I'm sorry, before you say anything, that person has to be more convinced that you care about him or her than what you have to say. Did you get that? That person has to be, more, has to be convinced, absolutely convinced, that you care more about him or her than you care about what you have to say. Because, you know, let's face it, a lot of times we come across like we care more about, you know, being right or being able to get this off of our chest so that we are at peace with ourselves. And that's how it comes across. And God says, this is not about you. This is about them. And so you need to take the extra time to convince them that you care more about them than anything. And that's why you're coming. And if they aren't totally convinced that you really care, then you haven't taken enough time yet on the front end. And so you can't say anything on the back end. Not yet. And isn't that what God did for us? I mean... When, think about the time when you became a Christ follower. Even if you became a Christ follower as a little child, you were still starting down a road that would take you far from God in life if God had left you. And so God rescued you. God sent someone into your life or God you know, let you have an experience. Whatever it was that God used to get you to a place where you came to him. And God rescued you and reached out for you because he loved you. Because he saw that your life was staggering towards the slaughter. Maybe you'd already been through the meat grinder, but man, I'm telling you, it was about to get worse. And God rescued you. And so we have to do that for other people. But get this. It starts with caring, not rescuing. Remember, God so loved us that he sent his son into the world. So God cared first and rescued second. We have to do the same. Because that's how wise people handle other people in trouble. All right, <clears throat> last one for the series. 
This is saying number 21. We're going out of order here, so you know what? Check your blood pressure. So here we go. Saying number 21 is always, always, always have advisors. Always, always, always have advisors. Here's what the Bible says. It says, the wise prevail through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and I want you to underline the rest of this, victory is won through many advisors. Proverbs 24, 5 and 6. Now, I saved this one for last because I'll be honest with you, this proverb has changed my life more than any other proverb in this entire series. Okay, for example, when Parkway Fellowship was averaging 500 people, uh, and we, we, were, we found ourselves kind of stuck. We've been averaging 500 people, and we've been averaging that for about a year, and we just couldn't seem to move forward. And the reason, and, and in church world, 500 is kind of a natural barrier because it's, it's when you get past that point that everybody in the church can't know everybody anymore. And so it's this natural growth barrier. And so we as a staff, we couldn't figure out how to get us past it because we knew that God wanted us to reach more people for Jesus, but we just weren't sure how to get the church past it. So you know what we did? Because of this verse, because of the truth of this verse, I asked all of our pastors to go and find a coach. They had to find a coach at a church that was like ours, but larger than ours. Because, man, we needed to reach more people for Christ. And I'm telling you, the things that we learned from our coaches was invaluable. And I mean, it doesn't matter what the specifics are, because that's, you know, just kind of like insider churchy stuff. And it would really bore you. But I'm telling you, we found out some things that we never would have figured out on our own. Or at least it would have taken us years and years and years and years and years to figure it out. It saved us so much time. Because here's the thing, victory is won through many advisors. And once we began to implement this, these kinds of things that we were learning from our coaches, I'm telling you, literally within a matter of months, like we went past 500 and started towards 1,000. And then once we got to 1,000, we got to 1,500, and then to 2,000, and then to 2,500. And now as an organization, we're moving towards 3,000 people, one for Jesus Christ. How cool is that, right? Yeah, you can applaud for that. That's, a, that's, that's amazing what God is doing at Parkway Fellowship. But it's because victory is won through many advisors. So what about you? Who do you have in your life that's giving you advice? Because here's the thing, you can keep just slugging through on your own if you want to. But I'm telling you, there are some things that you're just simply never going to figure out on your own. Or if you, if you do, it might just take you years and years and years and years and years and years. So why do that? And here's the thing. You can have an advisor for any area in life. You know, for instance, like if you needed, uh, you felt like you needed some help in parenting, then find someone who's a couple of stages of life ahead of you, whose kids have turned out like you want your kids to turn out, and then go meet with them for coffee once a month and pick their brain and figure it out. Or if your marriage isn't everything you want it to be, then find a couple whose marriage you look up to and go visit with them about it and get some tips like what do they do that helps their marriage be so healthy? Or maybe you find out, maybe you figure out, you know, like I'm stuck spiritually. 
and I'm not growing anymore. But then find someone whose spiritual life that you admire, that you look up to, and go meet with them and ask them to help coach you through it. Because the truth of the matter is, is that victory is won through many advisors. And that is true in every area of life. One more thought. God has probably already put those people that you need in your life. I mean, think about it. They might be in your small group. They might be serving on a volunteer team that you're at church that you're already on. And you just need God to open your eyes and see it, see those people for what they are, because God might want to use them to help change your life and alter the path that you are on. And look, and that's why it's so important that you go to small group and why you're a part of a, a volunteer team. Because when you're not a part of those things, literally, you cut yourself off from an avenue of people that God might want to use to change the course of your life. So always, always, always have advisors in your life. Look, and sometimes those advisors, they might be authors, they might, you know, some might be, some, might be someone on a podcast, but look, ask the Lord to show you who your advisors should be, because that is the way to certain victory. Now, let me wrap up the series by, by just saying this. See, these sayings of the wise, they're more than just pieces of advice, okay? These are God's words to you. And God loves you. He cares about you and your family and the future generations in your family. And he wants to help you and your kids and your grandkids, great-grandkids to avoid so much heartbreak and heartache. So look, take these things as they are meant to be received. Okay? Don't just read them. Follow them. Because that is how wise people handle life. So, find your connection card, and let's make some commitments to God together. Maybe it's this first one. God, I'm asking you to help me read the Bible, especially Proverbs, like words from someone who loves me and wants the best for me. And would you, if you just see it through that lens, I'm telling you, it helps you so much. It just changes everything. Next, God, I'm asking you to forgive me as I commit to follow Jesus for the first time in my life. So if you've never become a Christ follower, this is the one I want you to check. And I want you to pray that prayer. It's at the bottom of your message notes. I'm going to give you a chance to pray it here in just a moment. But if you've already prayed that prayer before, you don't need to check this. Number three. Help me decide that my faith is never for sale, no matter the adversity. Man, I hope everybody makes that commitment today. Number four, help me care enough about someone else to say something if they're headed down a destructive path. Would that be you? Number five, show me how to say things in a way that the other person is convinced that I care more about him or her than what I have to say. Whew. Number six, God, I'm asking you to show me who you want to use as an advisor in my life. Would you take a few moments and just a moment and pray and say, God, show me who those people are? Or number seven, I commit to come to VBS starting tonight and to invite others. There's invite cards in your seat. Invite some people to come with you tonight. It's going to be great. Me and my family, we're going to be there. 
We're so looking forward to it. It's going to be fabulous. So I'm going to give you a chance to pray and ask God to help you follow through with these decisions. So right now, bow your head, close your eyes. If you're ready to become a Christ follower, this is your chance to pray that prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, just the insight of your word and how it pierces our hearts and guides us and illuminates the path for us to walk in life. And I ask that you would help all of us to receive these sayings of the wise from you, our Heavenly Father who loves us, and express that love by sending Jesus to die for us so we never have to doubt you. And so I ask that you would help all of us to adopt these sayings as a way of life and to grow in our wisdom and following you. And I ask that you bring us back next week so that we can hear more. And ask you to do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.